0: hello and welcome to switzer tv property i'm peter switzer well with melbourne going back into lockdown we take the pulse of the property market with propertybuyer.com.au's founder rich harvey rich is an experienced buyer agent and really knows what's going on next we look at the outlook for investing in property and reits with jll's head of research andrew ballantyne And I'll ask him if the future success of online buying means industrial REITs and one stock in particular looks like a very good property play. And finally, we see how the coronavirus, the Victorian lockdown and the banning of foreign tourists will affect the supply of properties in the long-term market, which formerly were in the short-term or Airbnb market. We do that with the CEO of Accommodation Australia, Dean Long. So let's kick off with Rich Harvey. Well, on the property show, we'd like to get to somebody who's actually working at the coalface, and Rich Harvey is exactly that. He's the CEO and founder of propertybuyer.com.au. Rich, thanks for joining us.
1: Great to be with you again, Peter. So what are you seeing out there at the moment, mate? Yeah, it's an interesting mixed bag of results in the property market, Pete. We're we're seeing there's uh, you know some properties that are going you know close to asking price and slightly over reserve and others that are actually trading at quite a significant discount. So there's quite a mixed bag. I've been surprised actually by the strength of or resilience of the auction clearance rates. Mm. Um, listings are down, but clearance rates have been in the mid 60s. So, you know, there's, there's still a lot of active buyers out there, but there's certainly a lack of stock. And I think that's one of the biggest challenges for any buyer out there is trying to find the right one mm. when there's just not a lot of choice out there.
0: Are you seeing a pattern of some areas that are doing or you know, making reserve or better and those are underperforming?
1: Um, yeah, there's, like I said, there's a mixed bag. I mean, I've been surprised at Sydney's last quarter. I mean, the last results um, in Sydney was, Sydney was down 0.8% for the quarter. But if you look over the course of a year, you know, we're still up 13%. Mm. Um, Melbourne's numbers were, you know, down 2.3% for the quarter but up 10% for the year. So we're seeing that, I guess, the traditionally the blue chip areas uh, are doing quite well, you know, eastern suburbs, uh, northern beaches, uh, around the city fringe. But one area that did surprise me, Peter, was um, the inner west part of Sydney. And the reason that surprised me was that the a lot of investors are in there. So there's a lot of rentals. And as we know, rentals have taken quite a hit. Um, so we've seen the prices come off a bit more sharply in that inner west region than I anticipated.
0: Mm. So is there a buying opportunity for someone who's not a, an investor but looking for, you know, some place to live?
1: Absolutely. I think it's a great time. We're seeing a, a bit of an influx of first-home buyers that sort have of, you know, finally going, oh, wow, the market's taking a breather and a backward step. Time to get in. So there's mm-hmm. definitely a lot more first-home buyers uh, out there actively looking, but their challenge is obviously getting bank finance and getting enough funds to, to come up with the goods to actually enter the market. Um, yeah. So definitely, and also upgraders and downsizers are also... Active participants, mm. um, but but I'd say that the volume of transactions is certainly quite limited still at this stage. Peter,
0: Rich, is there a bit of hesitation around uh, apartments, especially the bigger blocks, because of concerns around you know cracks in buildings and all those sorts of things?
1: Oh, definitely. I mean, when you've had the Opal Towers fiasco and Mascot Towers, those two things sent shockwaves through the off-the-plan market. Um, That that really decimated off the plan quite significantly and it's still in recovery phase. Um, I would say too, to anyone considering an off the plan purchase right now, to be ultra careful. Um, We typically buy established properties for about 98% of our clients. Um, It's rare, certainly for investors, it's very, very rare that we're gonna buy a brand new shiny spanking property because like a brand new car, as soon as you drive it out the showroom, it's gonna lose value. So we're always looking to, to provide the best value for our clients. Um, But you could still, having said that, you still could pick up a bargain or a deal. If you're buying from from a Mervac or a high quality, well capitalised, good reputation developer, and they're needing to sell at a discount to make their presale numbers or to to get through a certain volume in a month, you can actually pick up potentially a deal. Um, But I'd certainly be careful about buying a two bedroom unit in an area that's oversupplied. And there's likely to have thousands of more units coming into that area because you might find the value of that property in, in three years' time will be lower than what you paid today.
2: Yeah.
0: I guess if you go around the country, uh, wherever the, the reopening uh, of the economy has been a success, I would have thought that was a really good thing for property prices. So I'm going to ask you, what do you think is going to happen in Victoria because of its recent um, problems with the coronavirus?
1: Well, it's certainly going to be a setback for the property market. And I think um, it's going to create more restrictions on people getting to open homes and mm. certainly creating that competitive culture that they love to have. I mean, Melbourne's the auction capital of Australia and nothing better on a Saturday to go out there and watching the buyers flog it out with each other. Um, so unfortunately, there's going to be a backward step for the next six weeks in Melbourne, which will really put a dampener. But I think the biggest thing, Peter, is confidence. Mm. Um, you know, it's definitely impacting consumer confidence. and. The property prices and the property market is very tightly correlated to how people feel about the whole economy. And if people are worried about their jobs, worried about finances, then there's less propensity for them to go out and spend money on property. So, unfortunately, that second wave has caused a, a backward step. Um, but I got to say, this is kind of what I guess three ways that people react, you know, and there's there's lots of negative Nellies out there and there's a few positive Peters like yourself, you know, putting out some great stuff in the market. Right. But those that are sort of, you know, go into panic mode and think, gosh, the sky's going to fall. We, we can't buy, we can't sell. There are others that go into lockdown mode. That's what I call the buy and wait method. And there's those that are really looking for an opportunity while there's a level of uncertainty. And I think those that, that take that last approach, that despite the uncertainty you're seeing in the market, take a positive step forward with with the right research, they're going to come out on top. Mm.
0: Well, I must admit, when it comes to stocks, I always like to buy quality when everyone's really scared because I get a much better price than a company Mm. that was you know, a a few months ago at really all-time highs. Mm. I guess the same applies when it comes to you and property, that Mm. you must love it when you get demand for, or purchasers who want to buy at a time when the market's really spooked.
2: Absolutely.
1: Look, I mean, as you, as you say, there's there's definitely a flight to quality, too, when there's a downturn. And we're seeing opportunities to buy what we call investment grade property, or you call it your blue chip in stocks, mm. to buy investment grade property while everyone's running the other way and running for the hills. So if you consider the, the long term value of property in some of these prime areas that's had a history of capital growth between, you know, six to eight percent per annum for the last 30 years, um, there's really no reason why that trend won't continue. We've got with COVID, there's really uh, quite a significant uh, re- reduction in ver- the volume of transactions and in confidence. But as you say, that's the time that people can actually potentially step into the market. Um, watch they don't step on landmines, but you know potentially get into the market and make a good opportunity.
0: So over the years, you've advised lots of people. Some people are home buyers for themselves, others for uh, investing in property. What do you think are the big mistakes that people make when they're, when they're doing it by themselves uh, and let's concentrate on property invest, investing. What are the big property investing mistakes that people make?
1: I think number one, they don't take a long-term perspective. Um, they might you know go to a seminar or a webinar and see that there's a big bright bright shiny new property with fancy taps and they're being sold on potentially just a yield play or potentially on the depreciation benefits of a particular property investment without looking at the fundamental drivers of the local market. So when I say that fundamental drivers, I'm talking about buying in a safe area that has you know, consistent population growth. It's got a diverse economy, a range of economic employers, and there's potentially great amenity or great infrastructure development coming to that area. So obviously the capital cities tend to perform extremely well, but also the larger regional centers like a Wollongong, Newcastle, Geelong, those kind of fringe cities can also perform quite well. Um, and I think I think the other mistake that investors do is is not just considering, um, you know, how to actually maximise uh, their research. They just buy on, on a whim without looking at, at those fundamental o- opportunities better. Mm.
0: And, and at the moment, we 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 know that in some areas, uh, Airbnb landlords are putting their property into the the long term rental market because. Mm they haven't got foreign tourists coming into the CBD and whatever. I'm, I'm, I'm noticing that in outer areas like the Blue Mountains and I guess Central Coast and places like that where people are going holidays, Airbnb properties are starting to get booked up again. Mm. But I would have thought around the CBD where lots of foreign tourists would have used the properties, there's going to be a lot more stock on the market. Is Does that make it um, dangerous or a buying opportunity for investors thinking about buying in a CBD market?
1: Well, again, it comes down to the, the nuances of that particular suburb. So if you're looking at, say, you know, Plotts Point uh, versus Surrey Hills versus Woolleye Creek, they all have very different drivers. And, and you know, potentially those that have had their properties on Airbnb, it might be that they need to put their property into the long-term rental pool for the next two years until international tourism picks up again and then they can convert back to Airbnb. So I think investors need to come in at the moment having a very, you know, um, what's the word, realistic look at what they're going to get as a rental. A lot of people say, oh, well, look, I won't rent, buy something unless I can get a 4% gross yield. Well, houses are probably showing, uh, you know, I think 3.3% yield. Um, and I think there's a really um, interesting research that's done by CoreLogic recently. And, and this is a really good point for investors that could particularly adopt a contrarian aspect Rents have dropped around 30 basis points in the last 12 months, but interest rates have dropped around 100 basis points. So the cost of holding the asset has become cheaper, even though rents have declined. Mm. So you've gotta be, you know, yes, you'll take a bit of a hit on the rent and I've reduced some of the rents on my properties just to keep the tenants happy and keep them in there. But it's a temporary aberration on a long-term perspective. If you've got to hold a property really for 10 years plus to make good money, there's too many transaction costs to be in and out quickly like shares. So properties are more bulky and, and sticky assets. So I'd say to investors: look, get the best rent you can, get the best property manager, but you're not going to get you know an incredibly high rent in this COVID market.
0: Okay. So he, here's my last question to you, Rich, and it it's might not be an easy one to answer it, but someone has to answer it, so let it be <laughs> you. Let, let's imagine we've got a uh, say a, a two-bedroom apartment, or what I say call a one-bedroom apartment. Uh, in the CBD or in Potts Point that would be there would be two areas in Sydney where a lot of foreign tourists would have done Airbnb because they are populist popular tourist areas now as a consequence the fact that there are less tourists you'd expect that that, that property could now be you know, uh, designated for, by a future buyer to be in the long-term rental market meaning you'd get less rental return but the price of buying that property would also be substantially lower if someone was desperate to sell. Mm. And my question to you, the hard part of the question is, do you think there, there would be, say for example, younger Sydney siders who work in the CBD who would be looking to um, rent a property like that because, well, they couldn't get in there once upon a time because, a, the rents were too high, they were used by foreigners, that there may, may well be uh, a, a lot of new potential renters, which makes the purchasing of that property, you know, far, far more, um, mm. okay. a, a, good, a, a good deal, in a sense.
1: Yeah, look, um, it's a difficult question to answer. I guess the answer is you can't give financial advice for individual people unless you know the circumstances. But as a general principle, those sort of areas, Potts Point particularly, has been wonderfully high, um, low vacancy in a high rental demand area. So yeah. yes, it's taken a hit now, um, but because of its proximity to you know the the, the lifestyle, the culture, the nightlife, um, it's there's an opportunity particularly even for first home buyers to potentially buy it as their own home, um, take advantage of the first home buyer grant, and then turn it into an investment property down the track. Yeah. So it's an avenue there for uh, an, you know, potentially a home buyer slash investor to come in. Mm. So just like a lot of areas, Peter, the, the, the reduction or the, the discounts you can get are certainly making areas a lot more attractive than they were in the, yeah. In the past.
0: Yeah, it's, it seems to me that there are areas that are, are still high in demand, as you mentioned earlier, mm. but places that are in low demand kind of implies that they'll sell for a better price and they may well be a a short term opportunity for someone who's really looking for something like that.
1: Absolutely. I think while we're going to live with this level of uncertainty, we don't know whether a second wave is going to hit Queensland or Sydney. So mm. we have to learn to live with a level of uncertainty. But I can tell you this property demand is very strong. When we went into this COVID crisis, we were looking before it, we were looking at a very strong property fundamentals. You know, um, yeah. I think what's going to happen in the next couple of years is building approvals are going to decline there's going to be less development. We're going to then build up Uh, probably a deficit at some point, but then migration and borders will open again and we're going to have a situation where property demand will exceed supply. But for the next sort of six to 12 months, it's going to be the level of uncertainty. But I would just say buy with your eyes open, do lots of research, understand the drivers of that market and uh, and just don't buy blindly. Mm -hmm. Rich, thanks for joining us. My pleasure. Thank you, Peter. That's
0: Rich Harvey from propertybuyer.com.au. Well, most of us are wondering what's happening to the various property markets out there. And one guy who spends a lot of time trying to work that out, looking at what's going on and what might happen, is Andrew Ballantyne, who's Head of Research at JLL. Andrew, thanks for coming to the program. Thanks, Peter. If you could make a comparison with what you saw during the GFC and what you're seeing now, What do you think is going to happen to the key markets that you
2: watch? I think Peter, you know, it's it's very natural to look back at the previous downturn in terms of providing some level of guidance for the markets. We would argue the financial crisis was a very different type of downturn to what we're seeing at the moment uh, with the health crisis. And what we've seen this time around has been unprecedented uh, policy support, uh, both fiscal and monetary which has certainly provided some downside protection to, to the overall economy. And I think while we watch very closely with what's happening in Victoria as a reminder to, to be vigilant, we have seen the reopening of the economy happen a lot quicker than expe- uh, the previous expectations. And that certainly has been positive to some of the commercial property sectors.
0: Mm. If we go through it, um, and I guess, you know, let's go through the various sectors, if you like. Yep. Um, and a lot of people are worried about the office sector for a number of reasons. A, people have got used to working from home. Uh, B, uh, a lot of I, I know of one significant public company that surveyed its workers, and ninety percent said they prefer to work from home. The CEO is not going to let that let that be the case, but he yeah. may well end up have, having twenty or thirty percent working from home. People who just don't need to be in the office. Um, So what's that going to do to the outlook for office in uh, 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 real estate investment trusts and therefore the potential investing in them?
2: Yeah, Peter, I I think you've got to look at the short term versus some of those structural drivers. So in the short term, we've clearly seen an impact on the labour market. We've clearly seen organisations think about their overall occupational footprint. And we certainly have seen instances of, of some tenants downsizing, and we've seen an increase of what we call sublease availability, which is organizations putting excess space back into the market. So that will be a thematic in the, in the shorter term. In terms of those longer term discussions around, you know, the future of, of the office sector, you know, we ourselves at JLL did a, a work from home survey, uh, and it was based on 3000 people. And it was based on people that largely work for multinational organizations. And we found that they actually, around 60% of them actually missed the office. And it got even higher when you looked at people that were less than 35 years old. And what they missed about the office was essentially the people, the human interaction, the collaboration, Mm -hmm. the bump factor that you have. So while we do believe the future of office is going to be more flexible moving forward, we still believe that our office has a very important role to play in shaping and refining an organization's culture.
0: One CEO who I interviewed said in, in the modern setting before coronavirus came to town, um, we saw that um, there were hot desking and things like that. And he also said that for the, the, the desks that weren't hot desking, they were probably closer together than they had been maybe a decade yep. ago. He, he's, his belief was hot desking will, will not be as popular going forward and maybe the space per workstation will be a little bit further apart. So therefore, the actual decrease in demand for overall space might not be as much as people expecting. What do you say to that kind of thinking?
2: Look, I think, Peter, what you're talking about is push and pull factors at the moment. You've got the factors around, I do believe that organisations will think about greater flexibility moving forward. And if we typically looked at an organisation might have, you know, four or 5% of its people working from home on a given day, I do expect that that will increase However, if you look at what a lot of organizations have done around densities, they've pushed that probably as far as they can. And I think you will see uh, a slight easing in some of those discussions around densities. You know, we're seeing a number of organizations that had activity based working or non allocated seating actually go back to allocated seating at the moment yeah. because people are fundamentally concerned about their own health and well being. And going back to the office, they're expecting different things around you know the availability of hand sanitizer you know we're seeing a lot more discussions around uh, contactless uh, lift servicing as well but also having their own space within the office and knowing that that space is actually be cleaned on a regular basis so even coming back to the office I've noticed that cleaners are a lot more visible than what they were pre-COVID and that's very much talking towards that sort of health and safety aspect as well so yeah. again I'm very cautious not to talk in binary terms. I think, you know, for some organizations, open plan will remain a viable workplace solution, but I think for other organizations, they'll pull back a little bit on what we saw pre-COVID.
0: Okay. What about retail um, uh, yep. re- real real estate investment trust ones? Because, you know, a lot of people are buying online like never before. Yep. yep. Is that, it's, it hasn't been a great area to be over the last few years anyway, Do you see any light at the end of the tunnel, or will things get a bit tougher for retail um, routes?
2: Look, I think you look at it, Peter, retail was a sector that was facing a number of cyclical and structural headwinds coming into COVID-19. You know, the e-commerce penetration rate at the end of last year was 9.3%. National Australia Bank did some really good research on it, and they said it's now up to 10.5%. So I do believe that that overall e-commerce penetration rate is going to increase moving forward. So I think really that what we see within our shopping centers moving forward is a journey towards a mixed use future. So looking to integrate, you know, greater health and wellness, the whole experience around retail as well. You know, I think when you see some of the backfill space from discounted department stores, you know, some of that could potentially be, you know, flexible office space. So I think retail is on on an interesting journey at the moment. Mm. Uh, I don't think that journey has got any easier given what we've seen over the past 12 weeks.
0: Andrew, do you think you'll see some offices um, converted to high-end residential in CBD spaces?
2: Look, that's always a story that you see through cycles, probably not in the short term, hmm. because as you know, our population growth expectations have been scaled back uh, for, for this financial year and next financial year. So the underlying demand for housing is, is simply going to be lower. I think it'll be interesting ultimately in terms of where our policy makers want to set migration targets uh, for the medium term. And to me, that will be heavily influenced by uh, the Australian labour market and where our unemployment rate sits. So in the short term, I don't necessarily see a big conversion, Mm. but longer term, I certainly do believe that there is a story around that. If you look at our big CBDs of of Sydney and Melbourne, you know, we would say that typically 35 to 40% of the products in excess of 30 years old. So very much reflecting the design and characteristics of a previous generation. Hmm. Uh, and ultimately when those buildings do come towards the end of their life, you have a few options. You either refurbish or reposition, or you explore alternate UCs, whether that be residential or hotels.
0: Yeah, I, I can see a lot of office blocks in St Kilda Road becoming very, very attractive uh, apartments.
2: they good, that, St Kilda Road. Uh, I started my working life in Australia down in Melbourne and I call St Kilda Road the Mark Twain of the office market that it's read its obituary mm-hmm. on a number of occasions, mm-hmm. but it's a, it's a great residential location. You've typically got double blocks, great proximity mm-hmm. to Albert Park. So yeah. I think there's a core market, which is, is sort of clustered around that Northern end of St Kilda Road. But yes, yeah. I think longer term, you've got the potential for, uh, for further residential conversion of that great boulevard.
0: Okay, I, I know with a, a uh, a video I did today, I, I made the point that I thought you know, Goodman Group is one of the, the better real estate investment plays going forward. And that's because they're in that industrial warehousing space. Is this because of the online world, because of the arrival of the Amazons, the success in recent times of Kogan, these sorts of REITs that are in the fulfillment space for online uh, retail and, and, and B2B stuff? Is it going to be a a trend that's going to continue, do you think, Andrew? Look, I think industrial
2: and logistics has been the most resilient of the core commercial property sectors coming through COVID. We touched on the e-commerce penetration rate on where we were and where we're currently at with the National Australia Bank survey. But I do think there's some other interesting drivers that we need to tease out a little bit more, which are supportive of that broader sector. The first of those is around the manufacturing sector. Now, I'm not a big believer that we're going to see significant onshoring within manufacturing. Quite simply, our unit labour cost is too high. But I do believe anything that's healthcare related, whether that be the production of pharmaceutical products, whether that be the production of, of medical equipment and other healthcare related products, is going to be something that we see happen more within Australia that's mm-hmm. going to be beneficial to that sector. Yeah. And the other one that I've been thinking a little bit uh, more recently, Peter, is around the lean inventory model. A lot of organizations went to just-in-time supply chains. A lot of those supply chains were challenged over the past 12 to 16 weeks. So I do think that some organizations, and ultimately what every organization is trying to do is to provide the optimal level of service or product to a customer. A lot of organizations were actually unable to meet their customer requirements. So they may see a slight reversal in those lean inventory models. We know inventory is a cost, but ultimately it's around providing a product to a customer. And I think that's an overreaction driver for organisations. So I think a slight reversal in those models is clearly positive for warehouse demand as
0: well. Yeah, uh, yeah. And, and I guess, here's one question is, without notice, but uh, I, I, if I'm thinking about, I'm sure you've thought about it in a, in a deeper way. You know, we've seen the success of Amazon Prime in the USA and the UK. It seems to me that while it might be hard to be successful right across Australia because we're so big, in the in the big CBD, the cities of Melbourne and Sydney and, and Brisbane, I could imagine one day Amazon Prime having a much bigger footprint. Is do you have you factored that into the ultimate demand for warehousing and logistics?
2: I think of more broadly around e-commerce as a driver and what that ultimately means. And I'll come back, Peter, to the, the customer experience bit you know at the moment to me the, we still get delivery windows that are significantly longer than what we see in other parts of the world yeah. as we've now become more accustomed with online shopping the next evolution is actually our expectations evolve and our expectations become essentially for shorter and shorter delivery times mm-hmm. so we talk a lot about you know last mile logistics we talk about you know micro logistics fulfillment centers these terms are very well articulated and very well understood in western europe and the us these are terms that we're still coming to, I don't want to say terms with this, <laughs> but we're thinking a lot more about in Australia at the moment because we haven't really seen the true emergence of, of that. And I do believe that will ultimately be driven by your know, customer expectations, similar to what we've seen in other markets. So we certainly will see, you know, infill industrial and logistics facilities become much more in demand because of their proximity to customers. The other one that will be interesting around that, especially when you look at the supermarket sector, is actually for a lot of uh, deliveries, supermarkets are located close to their customers. So we may actually see that a number of those supermarket retailers say, it's actually easier to pick from the store and they may look at actually what their their footprint looks like and they may be half open to the public and half dark store. And there's some technology firms that are already uh, trialing that with some of the big supermarkets at the moment. So I think that's going to be another interesting area to watch in terms of the evolution of that delivery model.
0: Andrew Ballantyne from JOL, thanks very much for joining us. Thanks, Peter. Well, we're always trying to work out what's going on in the property sector. A big chunk of the property sector, of course, is accommodation for for tourists and travellers and whatever. And so to get a handle on what's going on right now, I'm talking to the CEO of Accommodation Australia, Dean Long. Dean, thanks for joining us. Great to be with you. What is the situation with demand for properties in the major cities of Australia right
3: now? Oh, it's been a devastating um, six months really. We went from occupancies of 90, 95% and uh, in a matter of four weeks, we dropped to sub 10% across the country. excitingly it started to improve we're starting to see some recovery in the leisure market but we've got an extremely suppressed corporate market and no international visitors uh, which means SCBT hotels are really struggling mm. seeing some pickup in the regions which is exciting um, mm. that's really great news but still very soft occupancies and extremely soft rates okay
0: so tell us who you represent Accommodation Australia
3: so we represent the formal and regulated accommodation sector so your hotels motels caravan parks everything from your global leaders such as a core TFE uh, Hilton, IHG, all the way down to a mum and dad motor in uh, in the regions. Mm, okay.
0: What has been the impact on that on that sector that you represent um, because of the spectacular growth of Airbnb until recently?
3: Yeah, Airbnb uh, still is fundamentally, I would say, uh, the largest risk to the formal accommodation sector. Uh, you've got people that are operating what I would consider a quasi-hotel, ones that uh, don't have to comply with the um, extensive safety requirements that we need to um, in our buildings. Uh, that we actually pride ourselves on uh, and we've got portions of the consumer market that say we don't want that safety protection. But nobody, ne- nobody wants it until they're in an emergency and that's what our hotels are able to provide. So um, we have seen a softening in the Airbnb market. A number of people have removed the Airbnb listings or listings out of stays, mm. uh, which I think is helping. Uh, mm. But we've only seen a couple of governments around Australia address that unregulated um, letting situation. Tasmania's led the way of a formal code of conduct registration. Uh, New South Wales were waiting on uh, Minister Anderson to do some work with that and to finalise that and to get it out. And interesting, just last week Airbnb and stays were calling for regulation, which I think is the first time I've ever seen that publicly. Mm. Um, so we welcome that because we think the code of conduct that's in a draft form with the Minister at the moment is in pretty good nick.
0: Mm. What is the projection that you guys have for the demand for your product over the next 12 months?
3: We're looking at a recovery around December which is probably 50% occupancy uh, and if we can get to March next year and this is all continuing, all based on JobKeeper continuing um, while we have this suppressed operating environment, we might be able to get to that 60% uh, and then we'll, we'll trade along those rounds probably for the next um, 12 months. Some hotels will do better than others, uh, regions we expect to be slightly higher than that. Um, but it is going to be it's a long road for recovery but I think the important thing is we're a strong industry the Mm. fundamentals are still there so as we start to get consumer confidence back as people start to get some of those funds back in their pockets we know there's pent-up demand and we can use it
0: Um, how important has JobKeeper been to keep this industry alive
3: it is uh, JobKeeper and the Rental Mandatory Code of Conduct are the two most fundamental pieces uh, of stimulus and government packages during this process. If we didn't have both of those packages, mm. uh, we would see an industry which is a, would be absolutely decimated and wouldn't probably wouldn't recover for a five-year period.
0: Mm. Are you looking with unbelievable uh, positive uh, anxiety, if such a, a t- about what's going on in Europe? Because they're opening up their tourism sector, aren't they? Yeah. And if they can get away with this, do you think that might mean that by the middle of next year, will be opening up?
3: I'm hopeful, Mm. Uh, but I think it all depends. Uh, We're just going through the outbreak in Victoria at the moment, Um, and I think it's really important to acknowledge that. We've got a second outbreak, but we've got to go back to where we were in March. What we are talking about was flattening the curve. We've got certain states that are looking to eradicate this virus, and we know that's not possible. Mm. Um, So we've got to get to a situation where we get comfortable with some level of transmission across the community that our health facilities are are stuck are able to facilitate um that treatment Um, but i must admit i I don't see our borders opening really until middle of middle to end of next year i think if we can get to that place where we're a safe country we can survive on a robust domestic corporate and leisure market but we need both
0: what is your um, group Think about the closing of the borders. Would you prefer an alternative way of dealing with this?
3: The border closures are a blunt instrument. There's no doubt about that. It does stifle trade. Uh, it does make it significantly more difficult to fill our hotels. Uh, we are actually supportive of the Victorian, New South Wales border closure. I think what was happening there. If we had an environment where over 50% of the country's GDP was completely closed down, mm. um, our, the road to recovery would be. Yeah, let's, let's not use the words, but it'd be much longer than, than what it would be. Um, but we, we need all the borders open. There, there is no reason to have hard borders between Queensland and New South Wales. That changes on the 10th of July. Um, and there's no reason why other states can't open their borders as well. Where it's safe to do so. Um, mm-hmm. So we want them open, we want the trade to happen. And the other amazing thing is, for some of our regional destinations, like the Kimberleys, like Uluru, um, like Kakadu, there's some amazing product out there that Australians have said they always want to go to, but they never do. Cable Beach is one for me. I've always wanted to go there, but be distracted by Europe. Exactly, and so there is a unique scenario where those destinations, which are uh, a long way away, Typically high cost destinations can thrive in this environment Mm. and that's really exciting because that will mean continued investment in destinations that typically have struggled to have that continued investment.
0: Mm. Okay. There's a a issue that you would never have expected that your um, members have been associated with, namely the unbelievable behaviour of security guards in hotels Mm. that must be members of your group. They are, yes. Now, i don't think the hotels have been blamed in any way but as premier andrews and the security guys in question um did you ever imagine that your organization would become effectively like a soft penitentiary for or a quarantine a quarantine uh, penitentiary
3: no no the really worrying thing was the premier did try to blame the hotels at the beginning Mm. Uh, which was really disappointing Mm. these are hotels that stepped up did their national duty to keep the community safe Mm. uh, and the premier got that wrong Mm. Um, and he's he's admitted that somewhat but we're still waiting on an apology for the sector that stood up Uh, I don't think anybody in the hotel industry thought that we would have isolation cases in our hotels and for the most part the only business that we have Um, so unprecedented times call for unprecedented measures. Mm. Uh, we're really disappointed. The, some of the processes put in place in Victoria have led to that outbreak. But it's really important we acknowledge it's not the hotels that are running these parts. This is completely a government-run program mm. and their own processes have one, damaged some um, major hotel brands um, from safety and saying, well, they were running these, but they're not. So that we're hoping the government, uh, one apologises to the judicial inquiry, mm. finds the people at fault, We've already seen some changes as well, such as bringing in um, correction staff in Victoria, moving things through. So we're hoping some of those additional enhanced security measures at these facilities help.
0: Can you imagine um, an international hotel brand actually suing the government of Victoria because of the damage that some false reporting has done to their brand?
3: I don't think I can speak for sort of the individual hotel Mm. operators, but I think it's it is clear to say that the attention that has been brought on them by the government program is um, unprecedented mm. and unfair, mm. and I would say every uh, everybody that's been involved with the program is looking at every avenue.
0: Mm. Yeah, because I, I know in New South Wales, we've got a number of hotels around here mm-hmm. who are participating, or which are participating, and I, I think it's been good for their brand, the fact that they've actually been contributing to you know, making the mm. place safe. but. Um, that
3: Victorian experience, I thought to myself, gee, I wouldn't mind to be the, the hotel that was named a number of times as a consequence. Abs- abs- and we were really disappointed in that because you're right, the hotel stepped up and did their national duty, and I mm. think people looked at that and went, that's the right thing to do. That's yeah. why we've got these facilities that service the community. Mm. Uh, so really disappointing that it's ended up the way that it has. Okay. I, I also want to try and work
0: out, b- because this is a property show as well, um, the implications for airbnb and the supply that they're putting into the property market Mm -hmm. and so therefore your your best guess which you've already touched on you think that we're going to be in this unusual situation with the lack of overseas travelers for at least 12 months but maybe 18 months
3: I don't think that's unreasonable. I think we're a long way from having an open border that we had before, mm. and we're a long way from seeing the number of international arrivals we had in, in 2019. Mm. Uh, I believe Alan Joyce said, it and IATA said, it's a three year recovery back to 2019 figures, mm. uh, globally for the aviation industry. So I expect to see a number of people that were dabbling in the Airbnb space or or running hotels, mm. as they call them, uh, the quasi hotels where people just got apartments after apartments got them on platforms i expect them to return back to the residential market where they should be which is why they've been zoned that way because we won't have those international arrivals to underpin that uh so that
0: proportionally should should help you that that if there's less supply there'd be more inclination for an interstate or even an intrastate traveler to look at you guys and i guess you're you're unbelievably price competitive now than say a year ago when there was 92% occupancy in a place like Sydney.
3: There's no doubt about that. There's going to be some amazing deals for people that are looking to travel mm. um, and in this time and stay in hotels. But I would add a secondary degree on that. I think people are going to seek out hotels because of the safety that they provide. Mm. You don't know who's cleaning an apartment. You don't know who was there before you. You can't be guaranteed of any mm. of those items. All of our major hotels and even our mum and dads at the moment have very clear, stringent COVID safe cleaning guidelines so if you're staying in a hotel you know the right disinfectants have been used you know it's been a deep clean mm. you know everything has been kept up to date and i think that level of safety and that consumer guarantee is going to be really important yeah. for the it next be of a big issue going forward isn't absolutely it? critical dean mm. thanks for joining us great to be here
0: that's dean long ceo of accommodation australia